Hi, Fun Seekers. A very good Wednesday to you. If you are on my periodic personal update list, this is an email update list that I send out four to six times a year, and it contains stories from my own personal life that I trust are inspiring, encouraging, and challenging. And these stories do not appear anywhere else. They're not on my blog or in any other format. And I typically will share a book, a new resource, a free resource, or a special of some sort. Last month, I gave away my book, Reimagining Church. And then we had a special running for From Eternity to Here and Revise Us Again on Kindle for only $2.99. Well, I sent out another personal update. I think it was the second or third one this year. And after telling a story that I have not told publicly for 20 years, I shared about my new book, Jesus Now, Unveiling the Present-Day Ministry of Christ, and let my readers know that that book right now is on parable.com at a 50% discount. And if you order it this week, you will receive the study guide for free. So I don't want you to miss out on that if you haven't heard about it. And if you did not get my periodic update, then I would encourage you to go to my blog, frankviola.org, go to the top notification bar, and you can subscribe that way. Now, if you're already subscribed and you did not get it, then check your spam folder, or if you're on Gmail, go to your promotions tab. And if you see it there, and it's in the promotions tab on Gmail, you could drag it to your inbox, and that will alert Gmail not to put it in the promotions tab. And if it's in your spam folder, you can unspam it or unjunk it. This way, you will see the next update. For today's podcast, I talk about the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he has a very specific ministry. He is not passive. He is very active. And I would like to give a shout-out to my friends at waterforshepherds.com and newbreedcp.org for interviewing me on the subject of what Jesus is doing now. In this podcast, you'll listen to clips from those interviews where I talk about this subject. For those of you who have not yet gotten the book, you may want to sample it. You may want to read the forward by Leonard Sweet. You may want to read the review by Greg Boyd and read the taste test for the book, which gives you a sample of it. And you can find all of that at jesusnow.tv, jesusnow.tv, along with information on how to get the book at a 50% discount. Again, it's limited time only. So go over to parable.com and grab a copy. I would love to hear what you think about it. Well, with no further ado, here are the interviews. Be good. I think we want to to be a little bit provocative here at the very beginning. I'm looking at the table of contents from the book, and the introduction is, what is Jesus doing now? And I think that's a wonderful question, maybe not something that we think about all too often. I know that the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, but there's a, an incredible ministry, a present-day ministry that Jesus is doing. So to summarize the answer to that question as a starting point, what are some of the things we need to be thinking about as you see it? Well, first of all, let's just hit rewind here and talk about why this is so important and why it's been neglected. Most of the time when people preach or they write and they talk about Jesus Christ, they're talking about one of two things. They're either talking about what he did when he was on earth, Mm -hmm. uh, which would include what he taught, 
so his teachings and his actions in the Gospels, or they talk about what he's going to do at his second coming. But, you know, there's a big long parenthesis in the middle of those two points, and that is <laughs> what is he is doing right now, what is his special ministry today since his ascension and before his second coming, and, you know, Bob, I have explored this topic and looked for books on it, and, you know, I couldn't find hardly anything written on this subject. So that's the whole provocation of the book. Mm. As you said there in the opening, he's at the right hand of the Father right now in heavenly places, but he's not sleeping. He's not, <laughs> he's not taking a nap. He's right, not waiting, he? you know, until the trumpet sounds yeah. and his Father says, all right, go back to earth now. He is very active. Mm. And he has seven specific ministries, and they all have everything to do with us as Christians as well as the world. Well, and and to really, I guess, get into our our definition of our or our concept of the Trinity, we think of Jesus at the right hand of God the Father, and then we also recognize the present day ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Do we sometimes maybe interchange the ministry of Jesus today with the ministry of the Holy Spirit? After all, we're saying that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Often we use the phrase that Jesus resides in our hearts. So can these terms or or, are these descriptions be used interchangeably? And if not, maybe what are the differences? That's a great theological question. And the book does go into some of that, because Jesus Christ is distinct from the Holy Spirit, although he is not separate from him. Wow. Just linger on that for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For example, you know, one of the ministries of Christ today, and there's seven, as I mentioned earlier, and each, each ministry has a whole chapter dedicated to it in the book, but one of his ministries is that of high priest, great high priest. Now, the Holy Spirit is never called the high priest, because that's not his role, that's not his ministry. Jesus is high priest, and he's called the great high priest. And the Holy Spirit is certainly involved, because what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the presence of Jesus and brings it into reality here and now. So he's kind of the executive move of the life of God, bringing the the risen life of Christ, which is on the throne, right here into the present, making Jesus omnipresent. But he is, Jesus is high priest, and, you know, there's a lot of things about the high priestly ministry of Jesus that many Christians don't know. I didn't know them until I really got into this subject. In fact, one of the most striking things, if I can give one small example of it, is when we read Hebrews 4.12. You know, many of us memorize that. It talks about how the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Well, I memorized that verse as a young believer, but I had no idea what it really meant. I mean, what is this business about joints and marrow? And why is it called, you know, a sword? Well, if you read it in context, he's talking about, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, the priest would take a sacrifice, he would tie it to the altar, he would get out his knife, which was the word sword there really meant the knife, and he cut open the sacrifice. 
and divided into two halves, even to the joints and the marrows. Mm. And what was hidden in the sacrifice, what was concealed, was now open and laid bare. And the next verse of Hebrews 4, 12, verse 13 says, And our hearts are laid bare before him. Everything that's in us is opened up. So that's a whole picture of the high priestly ministry of Jesus, and I talk about what that exactly means today. But we miss a lot of that because, you know, we're not really reading the New Testament in context. You are listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Frank Viola joining us today. He is the author of the book, Jesus Now, Unveiling the Present-Day Ministry of Christ. And I wanted to camp out here for just a moment about this concept of Jesus, who is our great high priest. You quoted from Hebrews chapter 4. Share with us how much of an understanding of the role of the high priest in the Old Testament we need to possess in order to have a a better understanding about the ministry of Jesus as our great high priest. Well, I don't think we have to have an exhaustive knowledge, yeah. but there are some things we do have to have, uh, of some basic knowledge. And, of course, I provide this in the book and give references. But one of the things that the high priest did was every year he would bring the blood of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement into the deepest and smallest compartment of the temple, and that is the most holy place or the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Well, the book of Hebrews, which has a lot to say about the present-day ministry of Christ, Mm -hmm. as does Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, the writer of Hebrews, points out that that was a shadow of the real high priest, Jesus Christ. And he makes the point that the blood of goats and bulls and lambs could never remove the consciousness of sins in the people. But the blood of Jesus Christ can, in fact, remove the consciousness of our sins, whereby... We as God's people do not have to have any guilt whatsoever. And I talk a lot about the human conscience, and I break up from the New Testament the five different states of the conscience. You know, there's an evil conscience, there's a defiled conscience, there's a pure, clean conscience, there's a seared conscience. I talk about all of that, and I make the point that guilt is the greatest motivator on the planet Mm. for a human being, and the only thing that can remove it, the only thing that can destroy it, is the blood of Christ, and I talk about how that works. You know, the only people on this earth who should never feel guilty are Christians. Now, certainly if we make a mistake, if we grieve the Lord, our conscience is going to alert us. But once we know how to appropriate the blood of Christ, guess what? We have no consciousness of sins. And that makes the New Covenant so much more powerful than the Old Mm. Covenant. And yet, Bob, many Christians today live like Old Covenant people, even though they're under the new covenant. Wow. So a lot of what I do in the book is try to get God's people to see, no, you're under the new covenant, and you can actually live that way. And I explain practically how. Well, Frank, let's talk about the other types of the the ministry of Jesus. You said that there are seven. We've talked quite a bit about the great high priest element or the great high priest role. What are the others? Yeah, the others, and again, there's a chapter dedicated to each one, uh, are... He is the chief shepherd of the sheep. Another is that he is the heavenly bridegroom who woos and cherishes his beloved bride, of which we are a part Mm. if we are in Christ. Another is he is the author and finisher of our faith. And one of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament is in Philippians, the first chapter, where the writer says, He, referring to Jesus Christ, who has begun a good work in you, will 
not might, <laughs> hmm. not we hope, but will finish it until the day of his coming. He will complete what he started. He is the author and finisher of our faith, and that's all about spiritual development and spiritual growth and how it works. And it's a very encouraging, insightful chapter in the book and ministry of Christ. Another one is that he is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. What does that mean, and what does it look like, and how does it affect me and you? Another one is he is the builder of the ecclesia. He said, I will build my church. How does he do it, and what does it look like? And then finally, he is the Lord of the world. And that's a real sticky one because, you know, turn on the television Mm. today, (laughs) uh, open up the newspaper, go to CNN or Fox or MSNBC online, and you will quickly discover that it doesn't really look like he's Lord of the world right now. It doesn't look like Jesus of Nazareth is calling the shots. And so I talk about the tension between the fact that he is, in fact, Lord of this world right now. Not going to be, but is, and the tension between that and how things don't really look that way and how to bridge the gap. So I think it's a real practical book, Bob, for God's people. You know, one person who's a preacher read the book early, and he said, you've just given me <laughs> seven months. Yeah. He actually said eight months because there's a, there's a final chapter, but he was talking about each chapter. He said, you've given me eight months of fresh preaching to God's people because most of this is going to be new to the Lord's people, and it very much touched my own heart, and I want to preach it to others. So that's why we have the study guide because it breaks up every chapter into discussion. It also has a bonus chapter that people can read, which is an exposition on Hebrews 4.12 and how that's all about the high priestly ministry of Christ. If people buy the book from Parable.com between today and May 8th, they will get the study guide for free, and they'll get the book at a 50% discount. And that is very simply at Parable.com. Yep, Parable.com. They'll find the book on there, and they can go ahead and, and get the study guide for free if they buy it before, uh, before the 9th of May. Well, Frank Viola is joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. We've been talking about his latest book, which is entitled Jesus Now Unveiling the Present-Day Ministry of Christ. Wow, what great material that you've been over with us and just really scratching the surface. I know we spent quite a bit of time about that first role that you highlight in the book, but there's so many, author and finisher of our faith, head of the church, builder of ecclesia. Those two actually, to me, they seem to go together to a certain extent because they talk about the church, the body of Christ, how we are to function. Talk about the relationship of Jesus to his church today as you see it there's different aspects of it but one if we just touch on he is the head of the church in ephesians it says he is the head of the body which is the church and that means he is the source of life for the church but also it means he is the ruler he's the one that calls the shots and the interesting thing about this is is that when jesus was on earth he had a ministry and one of the ministries is articulated in luke 4 you know he came to open the eyes of the blind to preach liberty to the captives to preach the gospel to the poor cleanse the lepers to go to the poor and the oppressed and yet when he ascended he returned in the spirit he came in the spirit he became a life-giving spirit first corinthians 15 says and on the day of pentecost you know he what he said in john 14 15 and 16 i'm not leaving you i will come again was fleshed out and the body of christ was born and now we as members of his body 
have been given the wonderful privilege and commission to carry out that ministry that Jesus started on the earth. And so we now become his expression in the earth to carry on what he started. There's an interesting passage in Acts 1 when Luke opens up the book of Acts and he says, I told you in the first volume what Jesus began to teach and do. And the, the implication is the book of Acts is what Jesus continued to teach and do through his body. And so I talk about that in the book and explain practically how that works. It's a very powerful, mm. powerful thing to understand that he is the head of the body. That's not a theological abstract doctrine. That is a very real thing, and it's a very powerful thing. Christ is still on the earth. Mm. Well, some great stuff for us today. The name of the book is Jesus Now. Frank Viola joining us today. And again, people can go to parable.com this week, and they can order the book, receive a 50% discount, and also the study guide free, right? That's right, yep. So, hey, Frank, you've got a brand new book coming out. The book is with David C. Cook. It's called Jesus Now. I just got my hot little hands on a copy. Cha-ching! And it looks awesome, man. Tell us about the book. <laughs> Well, what I try to do in it is unveil the present-day ministry of Christ. You know, we have dozens and dozens of books on what Jesus did when he was on earth, or what he taught when he was on earth via the Gospels. And, you know, most of the preaching we hear today, I think, would fall into that category. You know, what did Jesus do, and what did he say, and how does that apply to us today? Or we have a look at the future and the question becomes, well, what is Jesus going to do when he returns? You know, how is he going to judge the world and, and all that stuff? So what I do is I kind of take a look at the middle between the ascension and the second coming. What is his present day ministry? What is he doing now? Not yesterday and not tomorrow, but right now. That's what the book explores. It looks at what his present day ministry is. Yeah, I think a lot of Christians, you know, they, they don't know the answer to the question, what does Jesus do now? They think he's up in heaven. It says he's, you know, at, at the Father's right hand, and they just think he's sitting there looking pretty. Sleeping and waiting for the trumpet to sound. <laughs> now, Father, now? No, no. Now? No. Now? All right, I'll, I'll go back to sleep now. <laughs> and and what's cool, man, is what I dig about you, Frank, is that uh, you're a Bible man, dude. You're, you're committed to Scripture. Um, this is some deep stuff. I mean— you know, I, I'm not an egghead by any means, but, you know, I've been to seminary, done the whole deal. And as I'm looking at this book, it is packed out. I mean, literally, you know, Church Zero, cha-ching, probably every every page in that had pop cultural reference. You have got scripture on just about every page. And, I mean, you have really done your homework for this book. This is some sound theology, but it's got cool clothes on. All right. I like that description. I wanted to answer the question myself. And so I did a study over a period of years from, let's see, from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation. And as I turned every page, I was asking the same question. What does the scripture tell us about Christ's present day ministry? What is he doing now? So I basically had one Bible where I did that study. I underlined every text I can find on that question and then categorized them into what seemed to fall neatly into seven different aspects of his present-day ministry, and all seven aspects are chapters. 
Yeah. Uh, and so you're right. I reference every every point I make. There's a scripture reference to go with it. Uh, there's a lot of quotations, but it's not an arcane Bible study. I'm trying to show how the present-day ministry of Christ affects and benefits every believer today, uh, including lost people. You know, how, how does it benefit human beings, but with particular emphasis on God's people? So I, I find the book very exciting, you know, in, in many ways, you know, the, the things that I uncovered, because it has real application to our day-to-day lives. It has application not just to mission, but what he's called us to, but it also has application to spiritual formation, our growth in the Lord, and then every issue we struggle with, because the Lord is very concerned and very involved with our day-to-day lives in very specific ways. So that was kind of the origin of the book. If, if I were to look at, you know, just having a chance, I mean, I haven't had a chance to read it cover to cover yet, but because I just got it yesterday, but first thing it is, but you, you did read the covers, right? So I did, but, but this is kind of the summary. I mean, I've, I've, I've read, you know, a couple chapters and I flipped ahead. And, um, what I was really curious to know was what, you know, kind of like what you're saying, what has he done? If I were to summarize, it sounds like what you're saying is if you don't know what Jesus as the head is doing in heaven, then you don't really know what the body is supposed to be doing on earth. There's that clear connection. Mm-hmm. I love this. Like this to me was dynamite. He says throughout his ministry, Jesus showed what the kingdom of God was all about by loving outcasts, befriending the oppressed, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, caring for the poor, driving out demons, forgiving sins, and so forth. If you peel back his miracles, the common denominator underneath them all is that he was alleviating human suffering and showing what the future kingdom of God looks like. When Jesus did his miracles, he was indicating that he was reversing the effects of the curse. In Jesus' ministry, a bit of the future had penetrated the present. Jesus embodied the future kingdom of God where human suffering will be eradicated and where there will be peace, justice, freedom, and joy. The church, which is his body in the world, carries on this ministry. It stands on the earth as a sign of the coming of the kingdom. The church lives and acts in the reality that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the world today. It lives in the presence of the future, in the already but not yet of the kingdom of God. For this reason, the church is commissioned to proclaim and embody the kingdom now, to bring a bit of the new creation into the old creation, to bring a piece of heaven into the earth demonstrating to the world what it will look like when God is calling the shots. In the life of the church, God's future has already begun. Booyah! That is hotness. <laughs> <laughs> well, that certainly sums up that one chapter of Christ being head of the church, which is one of the seven ministries that he carries. And the head without the body is incomplete. You know, Jesus is not a headless wonder up in heavenly places. He has he has a bottom half. Not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, the bottom half, close your ears, young people, is uh, is the body of Christ, and that's literal. That's not just a metaphor. You know, we have His life in us, and His life is the same life that was in Him, beating and pulsating when He walked 
in Galilee and Samaria and Jerusalem. And that life is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I try to uncover and unpack what that looks like now so that we can get in touch with our spiritual instincts. Those spiritual instincts are going to move us in the same direction that they moved him. Another aspect of his ministry that I think is is interesting to explore and that I try to unfold it in the book is that he's Lord of the world. And it, that, that's really hard to get our minds around because mm. you pick up any newspaper or you watch the television and you see the, the absolute decadence, the absolute corruption, the absolute you know, horrific, needless violence that goes on every single day on the planet. And then you, you read the New Testament where it consistently says, Paul and others, you know, Jesus is the true Lord of the world. Yeah. <laughs> he is Lord now. Uh, how can you reconcile the two? And that's a question that I think every Christian needs to answer. At, le- yeah. at least they need dare answer the question. And yeah. I'm not going to give away the answer in this interview, but my book explores that. And I think the answer, at least to my mind, is satisfactory. But it does put a responsibility on every child of God yeah. in carrying that out. Mm, excellent. Yeah, you know, and and as I look at kind of the the breadth of, you know, theology and all the different subjects within, a lot of people think, oh, theology, you know, that's that's nerd stuff. That's egghead stuff. And they'd be wrong for thinking that. You can make it that for sure. But what what you're kind of saying and where I think it always ends up is kind of like what Moody used to say. You know, if your Bible's not bound in shoe leather, it's no good, right? And and you kick off the book, funny enough, with a great uh, – a uh, little story about a guy who's stuck up in a tree. And um, <laughs> do you mind if I read that, Frank? Yeah, go ahead. There's a lovely little story about a skydiver who drifted over 100 miles off course and landed in a dense forest, strung up in the tree, tangled and terrified of the fast approaching night. He began to yell out for help. After a few minutes, a man who was out for a walk chanced upon the skydiver. Hello, I need help. Where am I? Called the man in the tree. You're stuck in a tree. With no way out. You're surrounded by a forest and it's getting dark, the other man replied. Of all my luck, said the skydiver, I get stuck with a minister as a rescuer. (laughs) Hearing this, the passerby wondered aloud how the distressed man knew about his occupation as a religious teacher. Well, the man in the tree said, I just assume you must be a minister as what you've said is both utterly true and yet absolutely useless in helping me. And I think that that's, that's kind of where you come from in this book is, look, there is a practical link between theology. You've got to know this. The Bible lays it all out, but the Bible always is heavy on application. And so I'm yeah. hearing that stream and I'm seeing it in what I know of your book so far. And that is so valuable. Um, it, interestingly enough, I think that at times we know, Frank, that like the body of Christ doesn't function because of people's ignorance of clear teachings. You know, we've talked about some of the teachings mm-hmm. on authority, empowering of every believer to do the works of ministry. Um, and because of that, if we don't understand rightly what the Bible's teaching, um, then we are going to be hindered in our practice of what the Bible's teaching. So you're drawing that connection there. And what I value, what, what's a little bonus to you writing this, is particularly in eschatology, which is like, you know, the study of the last things. Last things obviously are from the resurrection and the giving of the spirit, you know, basically until mm-hmm. now until the return. So even Calvin, right? Everybody goes to him as kind of like the, the you know, almost like the, the Don Corleone of, of theology. I, mean, I, I don't, but a lot of people are kind of like, dude, the guy wrote tons. Um, a lot of guys built on the back of what he did. 
Um, but he wrote about eschatology. He said, you know, it's really not developed. And so if you were to get a book that was going to answer what is Jesus doing now, again, the book is called Jesus Now Unveiling the Present Day Ministry of Christ. It's almost like everybody's theological bookshelf has a Jesus Now shaped hole. And you've written a book that really, in, in many ways, is kind of like a complete study um, that I've not really, I've, I, I'll be honest, I've never seen a book on this. Well, that's exactly why I wrote the book, is because I'm not aware of any book that has addressed what Jesus is doing specifically since his ascension until his second coming in any detail that's not so academic that, you know, you have to be a pencil neck to understand it, but also speaks to the heart and gives practical handles to God's people. Let me give you an example of, of one of the things that I think is one of the many eye-openers, at least for me, that I found when I looked at this subject and, and has practical application. We hear the scripture quoted so often, I memorized it as a young kid because I was told I should, and that's Hebrews 4.12, where he says, the word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, I understood, as, as many Christians understand, what it means that the Word of God is living, but what's this business about a two-edged sword, and specifically joints and marrow, being penetrated? Mm. I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> and one of, the th one of the things that's really interesting is that this is a reference to one of Christ's present-day ministries, which is the ministry of great high priest, which is the subject of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And what I show in the book is that Hebrews is really an unfolding of his present-day ministry as high priest and what it means and all of the benefits. But we often miss it because there's parenthesis. There's five parenthetical warnings where the writer breaks his flow of thought, and he gets off the subject of the high priestly ministry of Christ, gives these warnings, some of which are very scary, <laughs> and then goes back to the ministry of the high priest. Well, anyway, in the Old Testament, the priest took a sharp knife, and the sacrifice that he cut open was tied to a post. He cut open the offering, exposing and penetrating the joints and the marrow. And what was previously hidden that you couldn't see was now exposed. And if you read the next verse, verse 13, he says, the writer of Hebrews, there is no creature that is not manifest before him, but all things are naked and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we are to give an account. So he's talking about Christ now is mm -hmm. the one who holds the knife. You know, in Revelation, he says he opens his mouth and out comes a two-edged sword, yeah. you know. And he uses that, the Word of the Living God, to divide soul from spirit and to expose what's in our hearts, mm -hmm. just as the high priest did with the sacrifice. Oh, and cool. so I talk about practically what that means. You know, what, what does mm -hmm. it mean to have the spirit and the soul divided? What does it mean to have our hearts bare before him? You know, that's just one little glimpse of how Scripture has been hidden from us in many places in Scripture, that once you really begin to see his present-day ministry and you follow those threads all the way, it just opens things up in a very practical and brilliant way. Well, that's awesome, man, because one of, one of the things I appreciate about, you, appreciate about you, Frank, is that, you know, you, you, I use the word eye-opening there. That's how you write. You write very much with a sense of, hey, you know, there's something revealed as, 
as you're writing. And, you know, our, our guys, you know, we, we broadcast to church planners. I know some shows will bring guys on that they disagree with and this and that. Our guys don't have time to waste. So if it's not a book that's gonna not, you know, going to help them on the ground while they're church plant, most of these guys have got full-time jobs or, you know, whatever, um, they're by vote. And, you know, we're just like, hey, we don't got time to waste, man. Hey, if, if it's not a book that's going to help you, we're not going to waste time on it. So, um, you know, that that's our endorsement. And right, right there is having you on here. And we appreciate you coming on, A, writing the book, B, talking to us about it. And see for your heart for practicality, man. That makes it valuable. And more people need to know how to do what you do. And that is to take these things, to study like a bad boy, and then to apply them. Because that's, that's how the scripture's written. It was written as yep. kind of like, hey, here's a field manual, man. Here's what you need to know about, you know, the spiritual deal. And this is what it's going to look like on earth. So, Like James says, be doers of the word. And that's the practical edge of it. Uh, if we're just hearers only or studiers and nothing gets past the frontal lobe, then we, <laughs> we have done a disservice to ourselves and the Lord's people. Let me just say a word to church planners who are listening to this. Between May 5th and May 8th, this book, Jesus Now, is going to be on sale at 50% off uh, on Parable.com. If they go to Parable.com, that's the Christian analog to Amazon. They'll get it at 50% off, and they'll also get the study guide free from May 5th to May 8th. Yeah, and what the study guide does is it breaks it down to where you can discuss it and get into the content in a very practical way, in a way where it provokes conversation. I had one guy, a friend of mine, and he plants churches, and his comment to me was, Frank, you've just given me eight months of fresh and powerful material to give the Lord's people, Mm -hmm. and as well as new converts. He said, because this is hardly ever talked about. The present-day ministry of Christ, the seven aspects of it, and how it benefits us as God's people in very practical and and real ways. He said, this is something that I'm going to use for the next eight months. I'm going to preach out of each chapter. And so that blessed me because I think Hmm. that that is true. You know, there is a lot of content here that is valuable, not just to repeat as a parrot who hasn't absorbed it, but you can put into practice everything that's in these pages and thereby share them, not out of theory, but out of reality. That's awesome, man. And, you know, Frank, thanks. Thanks for coming on. This is broadcasting, by the way, on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. So that's your Cinco de Mayo present church planners. And uh, go on there, get that. It is perfect for small groups. Those of you that are planning know the power of uh, talking through this in a group. Um, Life change doesn't tend to happen in rows, one man said. It tends to happen in circles. So grab this book. You will not be sorry. Frank, thanks for coming on today, man. It's been good to have you back. Well, in light of the book, Jesus Now, if you had to list one thing as being the most important thing that Jesus is doing in your life now, what do you think that would be? He's the author and finisher of our faith. And at this moment in time, I make a point in the book that the beginning of the Christian life is rather easy. Uh, and when I look back on my early Christian life, you know, it was it was pretty easy. And I think from talking to people who are elderly, uh, mentors I've had over the years, you know, old saints who write their last words down in the final book that they're put, the end of the Christian life kind of dovetails to the beginning of the Christian life. It's not very difficult. It is the middle of the Christian life that is the most difficult. I just did a survey on my blog recently, and I said, what is the greatest struggle that you face as a Christian today? 
And it's an anonymous survey, but interestingly enough, those in their 30s and 40s and some in their 50s are answering the question. And boy, they're, they're just having problems uh, on many different levels. And I've noticed that in my own life, the struggle to continue to persevere in the Lord's way, especially in the midst of mistreatment. And the more you go on with the Lord and the greater that God uses you, the more opposition you will get. And this is a truism that every servant of the Lord knows about. And the dry times and the discouragement. You know, you, you put something out, the Lord gives you something, and you're, you hope that it will reach many people. You hope that it will touch many people. And sometimes you just don't know. It can be very discouraging, especially if you're out there laboring in the trenches. And another thing, too, is I work a lot with the poor, and I work a lot with the oppressed, and I work, work a lot with people who have very severe problems. And sometimes we'll see the Lord break through and miraculously do something, but oftentimes those prayers take years to answer. And some of them, well, I'm living in the parenthesis right now of waiting. And so you do your best, you lay your life down, you pour your heart out, you give your time, you give your energy. But there are times where you're discouraged and you're saying, Lord, when? <laughs> when are you going to come through with this person? And of course, you know, people have a free will. So a lot of it's on them as well. So this is, these are some of the struggles that I face, particularly in the area of helping others. Um, I was watching... Um, a video recently. Oh, you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You remember the scene where he's talking to his client, and he's so frustrated because, <laughs> because he's, he's pulled out all the stops. He's doing everything he can to help. And at one point, he just uncorks, and he says, help me help you. <laughs> and he keeps repeating it. Help me help you. And anyone who is in ministry today especially if they're dealing with people's real problems, the real gory stuff, the real ugly stuff, the real painful stuff, the stuff of real life, often feels that way. And that's where we have to remember that we have a Lord who's still on the throne, no matter what's going down now, no matter if we don't see the promise immediately, no matter if we don't see the answer in the wings, no matter if we've prayed for months, for years even, and we're still waiting for him to, to kind of break through and waiting for the person we're trying to help to help themselves, as it were, he's still on the throne and he's still Lord. And we have to remember that always. We have to look back and see all the times that he did come through. And that is a staple in our lives, a baseline that we can always remember, just like the Passover was for Israel. So that would be the long answer to your question. <laughs> right. Now, from your perspective of being involved with the church in various ways, is there something uh, going on in the church, a trend in the church that excites you right now? You know, I, I think the main thing that excites me is that there is a percentage um, and we have, to, we have to count the blessings, you know, however small there are. But there is a percentage of God's people that realize that there has to be more. That recognize that, you know, maybe when they were 20 years old, they jumped on the big bandwagon movements that are very popular today. Um, they got involved in all the celebrity pastors and preachers and downloaded all their podcasts. And, you know, we're, we're going to a big mega church that was being broadcast on multiple campuses. And they were just, you know, 
happy as ever. And then they hit 28, 29. Usually that's the age. And now they start saying, there's got to be more than this. And it's about that time that's the, that's the time I run into them <laughs> where they find my blog or my podcast. Before that, they're just totally disinterested because, you know, I'm, I'm someone, I'm not a celebrity pastor. I'm not a megachurch pastor. I've never been on TBN and never been on the cover of Christianity Today. And so the people who, who I speak to, most of them have been Christians for a while. And I'm talking about in the broader sense. Now, on the ground, I'm in touch with lots of new Christians and people who aren't even Christians yet. But but in terms of publicly, those are the people that I run into, and those are the people that gravitate, and somehow, by God's mercy and grace, they find my work. And they're just hungry and thirsty and starving. And they'll say things like, I've been a Christian for X number of years, and I've never, ever in my life heard this or saw this or realized this. And so that really brings a lot of encouragement. Um, this is not some big, great movement, and I'm certainly not the only one who has a ministry like this, but for those who do, it's always encouraging when you see a trend of people who are just sick and tired of superficial, I would call it superficial Christianity. And my ministry, people call it the deeper journey just because it, it moves beyond the surface and goes deeper into issues and aspects of the Lord and the church and the scriptures. I think, I think that's the most encouraging thing. Everything else, to be quite candid, is just a replay of what has happened in the past. Um, we have a big discipleship movement today. Lots of the books that pass through my hands that publishers send me are all about discipleship as if it's something new. And it's really mostly a replay of what was happening in the 1970s. Big, strong emphasis on discipleship and making disciples. And the needle really hasn't moved on that because it's presented the same exact way. The approach is identical. And uh, it provoked me to write a little free. It's actually free. It's an ebook called Discipleship in Crisis, nine problems of modern-day discipleship and a way toward solutions. And I wrote it just because I'm, I'm a student of history, so I see patterns. But for many Christians, you know, they think this is the new hot thing, and there's nothing new about it at all. Well, certainly the Lord wants disciples, but the way it's approached and the way it's taught has nothing really new in it. And quite frankly, in many regards, it just doesn't work. So that would be the trend is the hungry and thirsty Christians. And I think that segment of the Christian population is growing year by year. Somewhere it says there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> right. Yeah, somewhere it does say that. <laughs> you must have read the Bible once. <laughs> once. <laughs> Well, Frank, as we wrap up our time together here, can you uh, share a final encouraging thought or piece of advice with our uh, listeners who are spiritual leaders? Yeah. Number one, don't stop growing. Uh, growth implies being stretched. I would encourage you to break out of the box. And if someone is not challenging you, I mean, even if you say at first blush, man, this this can't be right. You know, there's got to be something wrong with this because, you know, all these other uh, popular preachers aren't preaching this. Well, don't make that your litmus test. Make the New Testament your litmus test and dig a little deeper. And if you're not hungry and you're not thirsty for the Lord and you're not hungry and you're not thirsty to get fresh light from the scriptures, you need to check your spiritual pulse and find out what is the obstacle. Because every person who's in ministry, you're going to get burned out at some point or you're going to get tired. You don't have to burn out, by the way, but you're going to get tired and you're going to have days of frustration and discouragement. 
discouragement, but there has to be somewhere in you a beating heart that says, I want him, not stuff, not strategies, not new techniques, but him. And if that's not there, you really need to go deeper and find out why. The thing that a a Christian leader or influencer must major on beyond everything else is Jesus Christ. Everything will wear out. I don't care what it is. Everything will eventually wear out except for Christ. And the only thing you have to offer God's people and the only thing you have to offer the world is Jesus Christ. So major in Him. Make Him your ultimate pursuit, knowing Him and all His depths and riches. And if you begin to really see who He is, then you're going to be hungry and thirsty for more. he cannot be exhausted powerful advice don't stop growing and focus on Jesus Christ Turn